Tonight we're beginning a new sermon series on Romans 12 to 16. Over the last couple of years, on and off, we've been working through the book of Romans. Most of chapters 1 to 11 have focused on what God has done for us. And now as we look at chapters 12 to 16, the focus turns more on how we respond to what God has done. We'll read Romans chapter 12 from verse 1 to verse 8 tonight. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is God's word for us this evening. My first point for this evening is that we can't be living sacrifices. We can't be living sacrifices. Julie was a very high-achieving, self-motivated, top-of-the-class type of medical doctor. She ended up working in a really prestigious hospital, mostly delivering babies. And she was all about her work. She would trade shifts with people so they could have holidays off and she could work extra. She gave a lot of patients her own cell phone number, which was very much against hospital policy and something that was frowned on. But she wanted to be available to her patients day and night all the time. She did everything for everybody for years. And then one day she was done. Just done. She did everything she had to do in terms of giving notice and not just walking out the door. But there was a moment when in her head she was finished with being a doctor. And the other doctors she knew, her family tried to talk her into changing specialties or changing hospitals or doing something different in the medical field. And she just said, no, I am finished. Now, Julie was interviewed by a guy called Poe Bronson for a book called, What Should I Do With My Life? And he interviewed all kinds of people who had different life transitions, were at different life stages. That's where I got this story of Julie. And it's a true story. In the book, Poe, the author, asked Julie why she walked away. What was it that made her quit? What was the trigger? And Julie replied, well, I was working one New Year's Day, and I traded with someone else so they could make a family trip, and I was happy to help them out with that. And, you know, I brought in some little gift bags for the nurses, just, you know, little, little holiday thank you sorts of things, just to say thank you because they were working on the holiday too. And, you know, not one of them said thank you. Not one of them said a word to me about these gifts. And all of a sudden that day, I realized that I was done. 
I wasn't going to give anymore. I couldn't give anymore. I couldn't keep doing this. People are so ungrateful. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I was done with being a doctor. Sometimes even the tiniest little pebbles can start off an avalanche, right? Now, when this text calls us to be living sacrifices, that's a calling that really is too much for us. Many really good-hearted believers, they work and they work and they work and they work at giving to God. They do everything they can and they do more. They set out to be living sacrifices. And then they burn out and they burn up. They become angry and disillusioned. They feel this compulsion sometimes to keep on going, but they start to really dislike Christian service. And some of these folks get really mad at other people because they aren't doing as much as they should be. And they aren't helping out how they should. And, and I'm doing all the work here. And why isn't anyone else keeping up? Now, you may have been that person at some different points in your Christian life. If you haven't been that person, I bet you've known that person. That person who gives and gives and gives and then they run out of energy and they run out of passion and they are just done. On our own, we can't be living sacrifices. But here's what makes all the difference in the Christian life. On our own, we can't be living sacrifices. But because of God's mercy, we can. Because of God's mercy, we can be living sacrifices. When I was younger, my brother and I got super soakers for gifts once. And if you don't know what those are, you've, you've had a deprived life. Man, oh man. Super soakers, when they first came out, they were the most incredible water guns in existence. You know the old water guns you could squirt people and if they held still for five minutes, you could get them slightly damp? With super soakers, you could soak people. A normal water gun held maybe a cup of water, but, and I'm sure my memory exaggerates here, but our super soakers could hold like a gallon. And you'd pump them up and you'd have this pressurized spray of water and you could soak people. So we were having a water gun fight with my dad once, my brother and I and my dad. And we made sure he got one of the old guns and we each had our brand new super soakers and we were going to get them. And we did. We hit him over and over and over again and he was all wet and we were hardly getting damp and we were so excited. And then we went and filled up our water guns again. We got them wet again and we unscrewed the tanks, fill them up again, screw them back on, go and soak them some more. And after a little while of this, my dad drops his water gun and picks up the hose. <laughs> and we thought we could take him, and we could for about two minutes, and then our tanks ran empty, and the hose didn't run empty. And so we dropped our guns and ran away, but it was a long hose, and he just kept chasing us, and we lost rather, rather badly, as we did most water gun fights. Often the problem with being a living sacrifice is that we're trying to do it with our own resources. We try to give and give and give on our own. We feel like, like we need to measure up to a certain standard or God won't love us or, or we feel like, you know, we're smart enough or we're gifted enough or we're passionate enough or we're whatever enough that we can manage to keep on giving and giving and giving. And some of us have quite big reservoirs of ability and service and energy and we can give for a long, long time. But all of us, on our own strength, we run out eventually. 
And as long as we're trying to serve God on our own strength, we're working on borrowed time. And the day will come when we're just done, when we quit, when we walk out, or when we get mad and we start striking out on other people. Our own resources are never enough. We need God's mercy to serve Him. And that's why it's really important. It's really important that Romans 12 comes after Romans 1 to 11. Obviously, 12 comes after 1 to 11, right? But the first 11 chapters of the book, they give us this picture of what God has done for us. They show us how humanity walked away from God and did all these wrong things and was stuck going in the wrong direction. But then God brought us back. Romans shows us how how God provides Jesus to make us righteous. Romans shows us how God brings us from death to life. Romans shows us how we live in the power of God and how he makes us new. That's the basic message of Romans 1 to 11. And then, and only then, do we get to Romans chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. The words, therefore, in view of God's mercy at the beginning of Romans 12 here, are absolutely crucial. Everything starts with God's mercy. Because of God's mercy, we can be truly assured that we belong to Him and we don't need to earn our salvation. Because of God's mercy, we can be secure in our faith and in our place in His family. Because of God's mercy, we have the resources that we need to serve and to keep on serving. In order to be living sacrifices, we need to be deeply connected to God's mercy. If we try to do this on our own, if we try to work for God on our own, we burn out. But God's mercy refreshes us and renews us and gives us the strength that we need to keep serving Him. So if we're feeling stretched a little bit too thin lately, if we're feeling burned out or used up, if we feel like it's just really really hard to keep on serving the Lord. Well, let me invite you to reflect on where you're getting your energy and your power for service from. When we feel like we're overdrawn spiritually, then we need to be asking ourselves, are we really drawing on God's power or are we just working on our own reserves? And if we've been working on our own reserves, then it's time for us to go back to the well of God's mercy. And then, and then once we've been recharged, refreshed, renewed by God's mercy, then we can truly be living sacrifices. So Romans 12 tells us in light of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, be living sacrifices. And then Romans begins to trace out what a life of being a living sacrifice looks like. For our third point tonight, we'll start going there. And our third point is be transformed. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 tells us not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. John Nash was a brilliant mathematical mind. You may have seen the movie A Beautiful Mind a few years ago. It's loosely based on his life. 
And John was brilliant. He won the Nobel Prize for math, and he was incredibly insightful. But he also, for his whole life, struggled with various mental illnesses. He heard voices telling him to do different things. He thought he was part of these grandiose spy activities or that he was being spied on himself. He saw the world differently. But all of that, all those grandiose spy schemes, all the voices that he heard, all of that was just in his mind. It didn't have anything to do with reality. And over the years, John was checked into different hospitals at different points. He tried a number of different medicines. And sometimes they helped him, but they also... They took away the edge of his mind. They took away whatever it was that made him really be able to, to make new explorations, to find out new things, to really, to really see the beauty of man. And so over time, John distanced himself more and more from the medications. He, as he put it, he chose to intellectually reject the voices that he heard, to intellectually reject some of those things that he'd come to realize weren't really true. He basically forced himself to change his mind. He still heard the voices, but he disregarded them. He still felt like there were all these schemes and things going on out there, but he made himself not pay attention to them. Now, of course, even after some of those decisions, John's life was haunted by delusions and voices. He never never really got over it by the power of his mind. It was a lifelong struggle. He always had to live in a very careful way, and there were times that things broke down for him. But he kept on choosing. He kept on choosing to turn away from those voices and to live a different kind of life. Now, John's situation is not at all, not at all a blueprint for how to treat mental illness, right? He's He's an exceptional case, very different from the normal run-of-the-mill. But that struggle, that struggle between delusion and reality, the struggle between going with what he felt at the moment or with what he knew to be true, that's a struggle that's relevant for our lives as Christians. This text calls us to make a very clear and deliberate choice between two different ways. It tells us to recognize that there are two ways in front of us. There is the way of being conformed to the world, and there is the way of being transformed. And what this text tells us is don't listen to the voices. Don't let the world squeeze you into its plans and into its mold. Don't listen. We as Christians are called to be different. We're called to live different. We're called to be countercultural. We're called to challenge the assumptions and the idols and the practices of the world. We're called to often turn away from what seems to be the easiest, the most profitable, the most sensible route. We're called to turn away from the patterns of the world. And we're called to be transformed into a different way of being. And that word for be transformed, it's just one word in the original Greek, but it's really, really important. So let's spend some time thinking about that particular word, be transformed. And the way that's set up in the Greek, it's a present passive imperative. The English teachers among you are going, yay, we're going to talk about present passive imperatives. And the rest of you are going, oh no, oh no, not that. We'll talk about it a bit, okay? 
Be transformed. It's a present passive imperative. So let's talk about each of those parts. It's a present verb, which means it's an ongoing thing. This is not something that happens to us once and we're different. We are called to continually be in the process of being transformed. We are called to continually resist the pressures of the world to conform and to live according to the patterns of the world and to continually push and push and push and strive to follow Christ with everything we have. And that verb, be transformed, is a passive verb, which means it's something that is done to us. We are called to let ourselves be transformed. Or to put it another way, we are called to realize that God is at work transforming us. God is at work transforming us. And by the way, that verb for transform is the exact verb that's used when the Gospels talk about the transfiguration. When they talk about Jesus being transformed and shining with glory and light almost beyond what the disciples can even look at. God is at work transforming us to shine with his glory beyond what we could ever imagine or expect. God is doing more in us and with us and for us than we can even understand today. When we follow Jesus, the Lord works in us to transform us. But finally, that verb for be transformed is an imperative. It's a command for us. Romans 12 is telling us, God transforms you. Now get to work and transform yourself. It assures us on the one hand that the Lord is at work in us and totally changing us, but it also tells us, be serious about this. Work hard at this. Dedicate your life's energy to this, to being transformed, to be more like the Lord. Be transformed calls us to depend completely on the Lord God to make us new. And it also tells us to work as hard as we can at becoming more and more like God. In his mercy, God transforms us. Because of his mercy, God calls us to change ourselves. And that's the big picture of Romans 12 and really the rest of the book. Because of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him. Because God is at work in us, we are transformed and renewed. And then from that big picture, our text for tonight draws out a couple practical applications, and we'll wrap up our sermon tonight by talking about these two things. First, develop self-awareness, and that's our fourth point for the sermon tonight. Develop self-awareness. Verse 3 tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Basically, Romans is telling us to develop greater self-awareness, to become more aware of what our weaknesses are and what our strengths are. If we're going to be transformed, if we're going to work at transforming ourselves, we need to first make an honest assessment of who we are. And all of us have our particular burdens, our particular challenges, our particular weaknesses, and all of us have our particular strengths, our particular abilities, our particular gifts. And unless we know what those things are, we can't work at improving them or work at making them 
better. So this text calls us to make an honest examination of our weaknesses. And maybe, maybe we're arrogant. No one's ever going to admit that of themselves, right? But, but maybe we struggle with pride. Or maybe we, tend to be, maybe we tend to be lazy. Maybe we've got a bad temper that we aren't very good at controlling. Maybe we find it hard to follow through on commitments. Maybe we can't stand being stretched to try new things. Maybe we just have no patience with people who are always doing the same old thing. We've all got our issues. We all have things we need to work on. And if we're going to really be transformed, we need to come to grips with those weaknesses and to work on them. And on the other side, we need to ask ourselves, what, what are we good at? What do we do well? Some of us have a real heart for other people. We care deeply about them. Some of us have a heart to help those who are in need, to help the poor or the lonely or the, the sick or, or whatever. Some of us maybe are really good at holding on to important things and standing firm no matter what comes. And maybe some others of us are really good at seeing what change needs to happen and being able to get other people on board with that change. This text calls us to learn our weaknesses and to learn our strengths and then to work to be transformed more and more. And you know, if you're up for it, it's a great exercise to ask other people, to ask people you love and respect and people who will, who will be honest but gracious what your weaknesses and what your strengths are. There are things that we don't know about ourselves that anyone who's been with us for an hour can probably tell us. And so it's good sometimes to ask other people, hey, what do you think I'm really good at? Or what do you think I need to work on? Now, if you do that, you'd better be ready to receive the feedback, right? Don't, don't say, oh, tell me, what I, you know, tell me what my weaknesses are. Oh, you say I've got a bad temper. Well, let me show you what that means. Don't ask for feedback unless you're ready to hear it. But asking for feedback is a great way to help you develop your self-awareness and to really be able to work to be more who God designed you to be. And then finally for tonight, this text calls us to use our gifts. The process of being transformed in part means that we more and more use the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of others. Developing self-awareness is a way to help us know what we're good at, and it's it's good for us to really reflect on that. But honestly, the best way to figure out your gifts is not to sit in a room and think really hard and, okay, now I have it. There used to be this huge trend for a few years that you'd fill out spiritual gift inventories. You'd answer some questions, and then at the end it would go, boing, here's your seven spiritual gifts. And there is a place for that that can be helpful. But often the best way to figure out your gifts is to do ministry. Often the best way to figure out your gifts is to try some things. You find out that you have a gift for teaching by teaching Sunday school. You find out that you have a gift for administration and organization by serving on a committee. You find out that you're good at caring for and encouraging people by, by visiting people in the nursing home. One of the best ways to figure out your gifts is to just try some things, to see what works well, to see what might be some... Some, shall we call them, growth areas in your life. And as we use our gifts, God continues to bless us with greater gifts. And the church, we all need you. 
We all need each of us to use our gifts for the good of the whole. So let me invite you to really reflect how in this coming year can you use the gifts that you know you have? What can you do? And there are things that all of us can do. What can you do to build up the body of the church? And along with that, how can you stretch yourself? How can you stretch yourself? Even if it's just a little bit, how can you stretch yourself and see if you have some gifts that maybe, maybe you haven't really used yet? What can you do this year to get yourself just a little bit, a little bit out of your comfort zone and see if there's some things that God is calling you to that maybe you haven't expected yet? So a couple practical points as we wrap up, right? Develop greater self-awareness, use your gifts, serve as you've been gifted. But remember the foundation for those points of application. Because of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy, we are called to be living sacrifices. Because God is at work in us to transform us, we work to make ourselves new. So we work hard for the Lord. Yes, that's what we're called to. But never, ever stop rejoicing in God's mercy. Even as we commit ourselves to serving the Lord with our whole hearts, our gratitude should flow from God's grace. Be connected to the Lord. Wonder at how gracious he has been to us. And out of that reservoir, out of God's grace and mercy, let's all encourage each other to live lives of gratitude.